Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. Hey there, Keyforge fans. Today... And for the rest of December, we actually have some replay episodes for you from my previous podcast with Ed Pocock, Call of Discovery. This episode is where I interviewed uh, BJ, aka Mr. Board Gamer, on how accessible is Keyforge as a game? How easy is it for people to get into? How easy is it for to learn? And he and I chatted about basically all the factors in Keyforge and how Keyforge is set up that make it easy uh, or not to get into talking about these dynamics to really equip uh, any of you super fans out there with ways to think about the game that might help out new players as you introduce them to it. And if you're a newer player, you can kind of reflect on how the game is set up and maybe how uh, well you were able to learn the game through how easy it was to understand. So this is a replay episode from Call of Discovery. This one originally launched in the summer of 2021. So it has been a hot minute since uh, you've heard this one, even if you are a Call of Discovery listener. And then next week, we're going to have the replay of me and Ed on Call of Discovery discussing Team Covenant's Power 7. In Keyforge, the Power 7 is uh, their seven concepts of card game design that can really make or break your game uh, when used properly. And it was a fascinating topic about mechanics in card games. And Keyforge, of course, with its multiple paradigm shifts, interacts with those Power 7 in really interesting ways uh without further ado uh here is the episode and man if you were call of discovery fan i know you are looking forward to hearing the intro music so i've left it in for you Hello and welcome to Call of Discovery, the podcast where we invite you on a journey into the crucible for a weekly or fortnightly celebration of all things Keyforge, its community, and of course, the excitement of discovery. I'm somehow still here as your co-host, Ed Pocock, along with Zach Armstrong. How are you doing, Zach? I am I am well, Ed. I am basking in the glory of the birds of the Crucible singing their celebratory song, celebrating your return to the Guild of Discovery here in here in Hub City. It's really a glorious celebration that they've brought to us. We have a guild. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, we I, I established that while you were out. I needed I needed a governmental structure to act through uh, to to uh, organize your rescue. So, oh wow that's yeah. so like classic british you know the pomp and ceremony of it all and can we have like those pins that we can put on our lapels with our our cool of discovery guild tag yeah yeah we we definitely need pins i think pins would be great and uh, membership sold... badges <laughs> We just sold our first ever uh, hoodie to a non-host of Call of Discovery, and I have no idea who it is. So uh, I feel like pins would just take off now. It, that it's it's my it. mum. It's my mum, Zach. Uh. No, I, jo- I joke. It's not my mum. But. Uh. <laughs> uh. 
yeah either way are. for this guild I'm, I'm completely up for it you know i've got the robes already and we can we can go you know we can go easy at first we can we can just summon a minor demon and then you know we'll see what happens uh yeah sure <laughs> okay well, well uh, let's table the demon thing uh let's <laughs> let's let's table that until after we've interviewed our lovely guest today <laughs> yes and, and in terms of our lovely guest uh today we are lucky enough to be joined by youtube extraordinaire mr board gamer bj how are you doing i'm great guys thank you i uh, appreciate you inviting me to chat with you guys this weekend yeah, absolutely. And you're more than welcome to join our secret society of not summoning demons. Uh, I think I'm more of the summoning demons type. So. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, Zach, the not I think summoning you're... demons disclaimer has uh, raised a lot more questions already answered by the not summoning demons disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm afraid, Zach, you're right number two to one here. So uh, I'm afraid demons it is. Uh, uh... Looks like we're getting disc back in the next set. Oh, yes. well, well, there, there we go. Let me, let me call up Iona, the demonologist real quick. We're going to need some professionals on hand. <laughs> demonologist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, Jeez, it, they're, they're on the flavor text for, uh, the Yerks, I think. Okay. Oh, your, yeah. your knowledge of this game, Zach, always astounds I me. I know. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Deep cuts. Wait, um, is this, is this not a show quiz showdown episode? Oh, <laughs> I'll stop. I'll stop flexing. <laughs> We know that card never works out well. Um, <laughs> either way, we are going to be talking today all about accessibility for new players and why it matters. Um, so really, really excited to dive into something that is a really crunchy topic. And I think it's never too far from anyone's thoughts Um all conversations about this game. Uh, but before we dive into our focus topic, we always do like to get to know our guest a little bit better. So, uh, Mr. Board Gamer, BJ, how did you first discover Keyforge and what really made it sticky for you? Yeah, um, well, I started playing Keyforge um, probably, uh, I think, 2017. 2018, I went into my local game store and I was with a friend who was visiting from out of town. We just grabbed a starter set and played. And what we loved about it was um, the randomness. And at first we kind of just understood it as randomness and we're like, oh, okay, like you, there's not really anything deeper to what kind of decks you get. It's kind of just lucky if you get a good deck and you play it and sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But then we started to realize you know how the turn order and how the sequence that you would play cards and was just tweaked slightly from we were huge magic players so it was tweaked slightly enough for you to feel like okay this is actually a tactical game it's not about how many creatures i have out it's not about how much firepower i have it's about how i'm actually triggering my deck to play itself and that to me, it was just like, okay, I'm done with magic. I'm done just going to <laughs> Friday Night Magic every week and dropping $30 to get a bunch of random cards that I'm like, okay, I could kind of piece something together with this, but then I might want to go out and buy like a $12 card if I want to actually be competitive. Um, this was just nice to do, you know, sealed events at my local store to be able to do, uh, you know, tournaments where you could have three decks you know ranked one two three my first vault tour was uh back in 2020 um and that was just like really seeing how people played such unique decks and decks that 
didn't have the best synergy and didn't have like all the best cards that you were looking for, but just the commons and the way people would chain things together that just sold me on it. And I am now obsessed with this game. I just got my dark tidings pack. So I really got to catch up um, on the whole card list and, you know, start pulling some decks, but I'm really excited to talk about this today with you guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's uh, like what you said, a deck that just, kind of has its own tricks and game plan that you've got to find and then trigger finding decks that like have a clear game plan that got generated out of the algorithmic jungle is absolutely one of my favorite things i've got at least two or three decks off the top of my head where like they're all it's all focused on like one game plan and they might not even be the strongest decks but man they just sing like it's just oh Oh, yeah i love it I think uh, one thing that I always noticed was that people, when I would start talking to them about Keyforge when I first started playing, I think it's come a long way, even in the past two years. Like, would you guys agree with that? Yeah, people people are surprised it's it's still around, and I think the community. We, we have enough years of the game succeeding under our belt, and we all know the game well enough that it's much easier to, to sell people on now rather than it just being kind of the, the fad, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And it's more deep now. It's deeper. The gameplay experience is deeper. Um, the interactions between decks is more interesting, arguably, and in my opinion anyway, Um which is awesome, although you've got you've got a good first set to to bed people into the game, but that's one that we can discuss shortly. Um, BJ, what is the most memorable experience you've had playing Keyforge or interacting with the Keyforge community? Yeah, um, I, th- I think when I went to the Albany Vault Tour. Um, that was when I went in 2020 with my same buddy who I got my first decks with. Uh, I went up to his place. He lives in Buffalo, went up to visit him and stayed at his house for a couple of days and worked from there remotely. And we just played Keyforge during lunch. And then we played Keyforge after work. And then we went to his parents in Lake George, which was about an hour and a half from the Albany vault tour. We went there on Friday night and we had dinner with his parents and we talked to them about Keyforge. And then we played, and, you know, both his parents are retired and living in Lake George. And we're just like, you know, these 29, 30 year old guys, like, Hey, let's go, you know, talk to our parents, reconnect with our parents, play more Keyforge in the basement and then drive an hour and a half to this tournament. And then we met uh, a guy from Texas um, who was a photographer and a teacher and just talking to him, um, about, you know, the kids that he taught and what his community was like back in Texas. That was awesome to me. Cause I wasn't expecting to meet someone, you know, that could be such a close friend and I still keep in touch with him to this day. Um, but I think it was like the way he would explain the cards to us and walk us through like what was considered like, you know, Uh, At that time, it was, I think Worlds Collide was the most recent set at that time. So it was kind of just like learning all the card lists from him, hearing the names of cards and the nicknames that, you know, the community had put on cards and actually being a part of that community after bringing, you know, kind of like that weekend was like, 
I went to my one of my best friend's houses. Then we went to his parents' house. Then we went to this tournament and made a new best friend. It was just amazing to kind of see how this community was like supporting us playing this game and going to have fun and just blowing off some steam with something that was a hobby for us. We weren't like, oh, we're going to win the vault tour, but we were like, hey, let's go have fun. And let's like meet new people and, you know, have people to play online with and everything. So I think like that whole week of that vault tour experience was definitely my best memory of Keyforge. Hmm. Oh, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. And I found that, um, I know plenty of games can have like great communities, but the, the way Keyforge is designed where, um, like, yes, you can go out and buy an amazing deck if you've, you know, got the money and you want to, but most of the community, like, you know, might buy a deck here or there off the secondary market, but it's mostly just buying and enjoying the decks they have, whatever strength they're at. And so it's, it's just more there, there's less, uh, there's less like intimidation factor, I guess, <laughs> yeah. in in that side of it because all all of my best decks that I would take to an Archon event, like I all spent I spent ten or less dollars on them because I either got them from my friendly local game store or in a bulk purchase, um, you know, on a, on an online sale. So it's really it's much lower key and it just gives more room for people to be friendly like that or less room for them to be nasty. I think. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Oh, when, and the decks that we played with when we were at that vault tour were the decks that we had, like, from, I think one of them was still from my starter set. <laughs> and one of his was from his starter set. And then we just bought two there and we're like, all right, let's play. And we, like, lost our first, I think we both won our first game. And then he lost and then I won. And then I started losing more. And then we met this guy, Rolando, and he taught us about the cards and the meta and the things to look out for. And when you read a deck list, this is how you should look at it. And then we just started winning more and it wasn't, we didn't buy new decks. We just learned the game and we thought about the mechanics and how all of these cards would play together and the probability of like, you know, someone having an answer. And we were just like, all right, let's get better. And that's what I loved about it. Like seeing in real time in like a two day event, seeing that change was just, oh, that's, that was dope. Man, what awesome people at this vault tour between the Texas teacher and then like the legendary Rolando. My gosh, that's awesome. Oh no, Rolando is the Texas teacher. Oh, oh, excuse me. Oh, this is the same person. Oh yeah. That's awesome. This is definitely a man of legend. We, we love Rolando. My gosh. (laughs) So, BJ, we've spoken a bit about Keyforge's past and a bit about its present, but what are you most looking forward to doing in Keyforge after the pandemic when we can actually meet people in person again and uh, share this passion for this game that we all love? Yeah, so um, a big thing that I'm doing right now uh, with Mr. Board Gamer is I am, as I'm making videos, I want to continue to kind of like build a playlist, curate a playlist around Keyforge mechanics and uh, rules and new sets. And I also want to kind of compile this program uh, that I'll be able to bring to kids in New York City public schools. Um, where we can do some competitive, you know, games after school. A lot of kids play Magic. Some kids play Pokemon. But to give them, you know, more access to Keyforge, I want to be able to do that. Um, and because it's, you know, so affordable, like even, you know, me as an individual, I'm able to 
you know, accumulate enough decks and like prepare for an event like this. So it's nice. And to be able to, you know, give to kids, you know, one of my buddies uh, who teaches in Queens, he is also the facilitator and supervisor for like an after school anime group. And they play the Dragon Ball Z card game. So to be able to continue giving kids in public schools access to uh, not only just, you know, tabletop games and trading card games, but like competitive arenas for those games, definitely want to be able to do that. So that's what I'm most excited for, to be able to continue getting people to want to learn the game and want to play the game so that programs like that can be made possible. Um, and I got a lot of friends, you know, that teacher friend, Rolando, who's also a teacher down in Texas, a lot of people that I can reach out to, um, and hopefully you guys to help get some people involved in that kind of initiative. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Uh, in the past couple of weeks, uh, our, uh, companion podcast help from future self has been doing giveaways of decks to yeah. people. And I know they, they, uh, gave away a bunch of decks to someone, I believe there may have been an after school program. There was also a, a woman's shelter uh, that got a lot of key forge decks uh, just to add to the, the things they have there as far as recreation is concerned. So, uh, and I see uh, listeners, I see a lot of people out there just saying, Oh, I have so many decks. What do I do with them? This is a problem. One, I mean, that happens in MTG too with cards, right? Yeah. But uh, that look, look around for, uh, cause they don't have to deck build, look around for an after school program in your area, find somebody doing a board game program, uh, maybe in a few cities over if it if it takes that and you can you can give away some extra decks there they're uh yeah keyforger decks are ready to play which makes it perfect for that yep yeah and i i love that you know there could always be an opportunity for someone to take a deck that doesn't have a lot of wins that feels impossible to play and for somebody to solve it and be able to say no that's my deck now and be able to like you know claim uh claim the right to that deck is something that i'm i'm interested in seeing how we can create some events and maybe some skits on the youtube channel around decks and archon personalities um so i'm, I'm definitely going to be reaching out to you guys so we can pull more people into Ooh. this community <laughs> awesome we're always up yeah. for any endeavors that involve involve that um, and giving something back. So yeah, let's, uh, let's definitely pursue. Yeah. And, uh, I guess the, one of our just last personal questions here. So BJ, you've got the, the YouTube channel as Mr. Board Gamer. How, uh, what role did Keyforge play in you getting the channel started? I, I believe that started about nine months ago in August, 2020, if my research is correct. Yeah. I think my first upload was, I think maybe I uploaded like the uh, season intro <laughs> in August, <laughs> but I think my first actual video was September. Um, and I mm. did start off pretty early with key four stuff, I think in September. Um, and yeah, it, it was huge. It was the, I started it cause I went to that vault tour and I didn't see uh, a lot of people of color, you know, uh, like I'm, I'm a black man. I went to it and, I didn't see any other black folks there. Um, you know, my friend Rolando, uh, was a Mexican man and he didn't see any other Mexican folks there. And like when he 
you know, introduced himself to us. He was like, oh, I wasn't sure what kind of people I would meet here because I'm traveling alone all the way from Texas. And to kind of hear that and like, you know, if I wasn't with my best friend who I felt safe with and everything, you know, and I was leaving the state to go somewhere, like if I was going to Texas, you know, maybe I would, you know, want to check out the area, figure out like where I'm going to be staying and, sure. you know, if I'll be alone. So I was like, mm, I don't really feel that way because I'm from New York and that guy went to college in Albany. So I'm kind of just like, but it, it's interesting that he had to worry about that or think about that and traveling to something that he's here to enjoy. Like it's a hobby mm. for him. So yeah. I was like, if what it's going to take is him being feeling comfortable that he can like approach me and say like, Hey man, like, can I be your friend? Like, can we like talk to each other? Cause like, you know, I don't see anyone else who looks like us and I just want to know, you know, I got some people to talk to. So then we went out, we grabbed dinner and everything with him. We got a couple of drinks. Um, and yeah, we kept in touch. So it's nice to be able to build community like that. So that's m what I want my big contribution to this uh, community to be, to be able to like, you know, create more space for other folks and invite other folks into the community and also support everything that the existing community has, um, but just kind of expand it and keep supporting something that makes playing and competing so accessible. Oh yeah. That's, that's awesome. That what, what a good goal for a YouTube channel too, right? To like serve, serve a need that you've identified. Um, and, uh, if people are seeing me around on the internet, I've already been, you know, trying to post your, uh, Keyford shirt turn overview pretty much yes, everywhere I can, <laughs> like under four minutes, super clear. So, <coughs> Ooh, excuse me. <coughs> so if you, if you haven't checked out his channel, definitely go do that. Um, uh, I think some other games you cover like Dice Throne, uh, Sentinels of the Multiverse, uh, then a couple topics like the Gateway stuff, uh, and then Blurred Talk, which all kind of point towards that mission you were you were talking about. So that's that's awesome. Yeah, thank you, and I appreciate you sharing it uh, everywhere and getting it some views. Thank you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, I'm very, we're very excited to see what you do with the the YouTube channel in coming weeks and months. We've got no doubt that whatever it is, it's going to be a good thing for KeyForge and fans of board games more generally. Um, but in the meantime, um, let's have a conversation around the approachability of KeyForge to new players and why it matters. And a good place probably to get started here is by looking at some of those characteristics that really set Keyforge apart from other card games in terms of how easy it is to get into. Um, so, Zach and BJ, what are some of those things that make Keyforge uniquely approachable at that ground level? Yeah, I, th I think the first thing is... Um, I think the distribution model, right? That there's, I, th I feel like this is always talked to at death, but, uh, or talked to ad nauseum to death. But the fact that you can't just go out and you're not just purchasing, you know, typically you're not just purchasing the best cards and, you know, getting to customize your deck and net deck um, to just create something that's super dominant and is full meta, you know, if you go into a sealed event, then that's the best way to play. You know, you know that 
even if you're not in a sealed event, no matter what, your deck is the only one of its kind that exists. So it's really about just how you play and, you know, how you respond to your opponent's deck. Um, and even a low-rated deck or a deck with low synergy can still end up winning a game. Um, it's really just about how you play it and respond to what's happening. So I think that's one thing, that kind of just the knowledge of mechanics is the biggest component of success in the game, and it's not how much you invest, how much money you invest into the hobby. So starting there, it's great. Um, and then I think really looking at each deck as like a puzzle as like trying to figure out what are its strengths where are the synergies um and having that kind of system a system uh, of having the deck list and being able to actually in real time i guess um it makes it more accessible for people to be trying to track their cards and figuring out okay what am i going to discard to run my deck down so i can reshuffle it um so I think there's all these different mechanics that continue to lend itself to being accessible for people to improve without investing a lot of money into it. Yeah, I I totally agree. I totally agree. I think there's so many decisions to make with any one deck that if you play the deck for the enjoyment of getting to know that deck, of course, you know, trying to play to win any given match. But if your overall goal is to just like learn the deck, find the new, find the new combos, learn new situations in different matchups, you're going to get a lot of value out of a, out of a single deck. Uh, something Richard Garfield said when he was on was uh, about taking, you know, taking ownership of your play experience um i think it's fair to ask of things for ffg right but then there's also like well how do you enjoy it just go do that and help from future self did a whole episode on it and i think being able to take one deck and just say well i'm gonna practice these couple of decks because i really like how they play and sure maybe i'm gonna you know lose over half the time in, in casual play with my friends but because i really like these decks like there's just gonna be joy i can find in digging into them i think that's a uh, that's certainly a kind of person who enjoys that will love getting into Keyforge, definitely. And if we capture here the inescapable comparison between Keyforge and constructed decks, and yeah, we have to be open about this, that this is something that puts people off from this game quite often. People think, well, I want to build my own deck. I want to have the flexibility to have a deck that is ultimately unique to me and i'm using that term charged here because what i'm going to say is when we were much younger and that Yu-Gi-Oh anime was out it captured such an excitement of discovery they turn up there'd be these things that they'd never seen before and they'd be like wow what do i do now but the game never really captured that because ultimately with the reality of net decking those two or three cards, and I think our sister podcast, Help from Future Self, mentioned this a few weeks ago. There's two or three cards that you think are your own spin on a deck that you've put into a deck in a constructed format can so easily have to come out just because you have to end up fine-tuning that deck because everyone else does. And this is not a thing to even worry about with Keyforge because everyone has unique decks. There are cards in a lot of decks that are going to be synergizing in ways that just haven't been comprehended and hell there are synergies that haven't even been printed that are plausible it is a complete completely new paradigm for these kind of games and uh, for those types of players it makes it really 
accessible and exciting. Uh, but it also means that to a certain extent, we're all on a level playing field because we've never, we've never seen the deck we're playing against before. Uh, whereas if you're playing against a meta deck, you might've played against it a hundred times before. Yeah. And I think that one thing that kind of, I mean, I, I can't disagree with people who might agree with that or who that might resonate with, but I do think that one thing I hear uh, some of my friends who have that perspective say is like, oh, there's also no, you can't get like holographics or you can't get, um, you know, any like crazy like epic card that you can then like make sure you use in your deck. And it's like, well, if it's a card that you really like, you can use it. And with a, what I thought was great in uh, Mass Mutations, the gigantic cards, I was like, I'd much rather have a gigantic card than something holographic. Like, you know, sure. I'd, I'd much rather have an evil twin than something holographic. Like, <laughs> I'd much rather have all those things. And I, so I think there's like, you know, there's trade-offs in either end. But um, if you're really looking for a game where like you have like the, you know, the, the replayability, the very, the variability and just like how unique it is that you will never come across an identical deck. Uh, Keyforge just won out for me from like, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh or magic. Awesome. Sure. And awesome. I'd say that when people say, ah, oh, there's no deck building, I feel so restricted. Um, Many times, sure, maybe a deck building game is the you know right thing to scratch that itch for the person. But many times I've found when people say, oh, there's no deck building, I feel so restricted. What they mean is that they would feel like the deck isn't uniquely theirs because they didn't work on it. However, given what we were talking about with the nature of net decks and then Keyforge's decks being unique like no other in the world, I am more connected to these decks in the way that like these decks are unique only i know how to play them i can oh, play yeah. this deck in a way and surprise someone right somebody yep. can look at the deck list go oh that looks normal i guess and then i play it in a way they go oh i had no idea this deck had that game plan i've never seen like i've seen these things before but i've never seen them used in that way like i have decks i could do that with right maybe yeah. they're not going to win a vault tour but they exist and that's that's the point i want to get across to people who who are sad that there's no deck building and then write it off. And to that end, I suppose we're using deck building here in, in terms of it's a means. And the end it's a means to is having a unique game experience. It is having an experience with a, a, a deck of cards that is unique to you. And arguably in today's world, with net decking as it is, Keyforge offers that much better than its its uh, competitor games that offer you deck building because actually that end experience is much more nuanced, is much more different between game to game. Beautifully said. So yeah. we've spoken a bit about distribution. Um, should we talk about price point? Yeah. And to set things off here... Um, Whilst most of us probably have a few more than, I'd say, one $10, £10, €10 Euro deck, you don't necessarily need that many decks to play Keyforge or to sort of remain competitive in the game across different variants. Whereas 
I suppose, to look at Magic, which is the obvious punch bag here. There are even booster packs that are going over $100 now. Oh. Certain variants, certain formats in, in Magic are costing hundreds of pounds to get a deck that actually means that you can get up, get on the table there and play it. Um, and Keyforge offers you something very, very different, even at its worst in terms of cost, for a, uh, a viable Archon deck, uh, which is Keyforge's competitive, um, yeah, who's who's the biggest deck kind of, my deck's, uh, my deck's got a bigger sass than yours kind of format, it's still not anywhere near the same price. So do we think that Keyforge is more accessible in price, or do we think realistically it's going to cost the end, the end buyer the same amount in terms of they're going to end up buying a lot of decks? I mean, I think if you end up buying a lot of decks, that's your decision. And, you know, you, you got to face your family. That's true. Um, I'm glancing but, at my decks as, as you say this. But I think, you know, I've kept the same, like, one Age of Ascension and two World Collide decks. I've kept those in my deck box for the longest time like through mass mutation and now after i've opened maybe like three or four dark tidings packs um still i've got like these same three decks right now that i've just started to change out and i'm kind of like i didn't need all these other decks but because it's so affordable you know ten dollars a deck okay i'll i'll grab a couple and you know maybe i'll grab a box every once in a while and kind of just see like what i get if i get anything that's exciting i'll play it a bunch and if i don't like it i'll save it and you know maybe a friend of mine plays it likes it beats me and then i'm like all right yeah you can have the deck you know it's just nice to have that flexibility with the game and i wouldn't have that flexibility with a game like magic or Yu Gi Oh, um or even pokemon like i think i think people really under estimate how expensive pokemon can be too oh sure if you're buying boosters if you're playing, yeah oh my goodness yeah so i think yeah there's definitely if we're just looking at like baseline the the price point across all card games i think yeah, keyforge is clearly dominant in the affordability area but i do think that it can rack up but that's to the level that you're having fun. You know, if I'm having fun with these three decks, I could just play with these three decks against anything that anybody has. But if I hear there's gigantic creatures, I'm going for a gigantic creature. You know, if I right. hear that there's new sea <laughs> monsters, I'm going for new sea monsters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've got to embrace the whimsy of the Crucible, haven't we? We really yeah. do. We really do. So with price point in mind there, we've already mentioned some of the variants. And I suppose here we can break it down to you have Archon, which is bring your biggest, toughest, most muscly deck. You have Adaptive, which is bring your wittiest deck and try and outmaneuver your opponent by sheer skill. Um, and we have Sealed, which is embrace the uh, whimsy and wonder of the Crucible um and yeah let's let's have a talk about those and break them down and 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 see which are accessible from different angles so i guess let's start with with archon um 
some thoughts to consider here. It's more expensive to find that deck that is truly viable uh, at a big Archon tournament can play against the other the other uh, most powerful decks in the meta. Um, but at the same time, you only need one deck. And if you can't play that format, then you've still got a lot of other formats you can play. Yeah. Zach and BJ, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think I would definitely say that Archon may be the least. <laughs> if you know, I'm not saying it's not accessible. You know, that many decks for some people may be affordable and may be fine. But I would say if it is like the primary, like you know, the S tier of competition, it would be the least accessible just in that like you said you've got a you could spend a reasonable amount trying to find that like perfect deck or if you're even doing like a vault or find those like perfect three decks that you want to take in with you yeah um but then i think like the other like sealed i i really like sealed i love sealed for like you know a 12 person sealed tournament would be fun to just see like what do people pull and sometimes the person in there who's like the best and dominates everyone they're gonna win and they're gonna get a crazy you know 75 sas <laughs> deck and they're gonna be like oh this is so easy to play but sometimes someone's gonna get like a 50 sas deck and they're just gonna figure it out and somehow they're gonna get four wins and then they're gonna you know get a buy and then they're gonna win again so it's you never know what's sealed so i do love sealed and i do think for everyone just getting a blind deck that is the most accessible way to play but um i, I definitely love archon I, yeah because <laughs> i think uh the accessibility of archon right depends on the, the context right so if you're just playing kitchen table then you can you know play any old thing just straight head on and enjoy it uh but where where you start to see some i think variabilities of chain bound right and it depends on how many people are your chain bound what's the general attitude about decks that you would bring because right. um, i once brought a uh, and i didn't realize what i was doing at the time right uh, but i once brought uh like my heart of the forest deck that has all of the heart of the forest tools it has glimmer it has key charge that sort of thing to try to pin the opponent down and then come back and win and i went three and one with that deck even though like generally speaking it's not a great deck it just has this one thing going on for it and i was able to bring that to archon and get like three wins out of it um only being taken down by you know one of the the stronger players in the uh in the area so i think archon depends on the context uh but like at a vault tour or something yeah you're you're really right that's where like you can go to have fun but you'd you'd want to start to pack some heat if you want a chance at like doing well in day two um yeah. but I, I think i think at a vault tour you could at least go you know three three or four two with any old deck from your collection that you know really well yeah oh yeah and i i have to say i've actually done that you know, i went to a vault tour an Archon Voltor with a deck. It's all right. It's pretty good, but it's it's your standard collection deck. I'll put it that way. 
Um, and I had a great time and I went 3-3, which is just the end score for any Call of Discovery host. Um, it's true. So Zach, it's, that's all we've ever done at Vault Tours the is moment, 3-3. The moment that you top cut a Vault Tour, Zach, you are off the podcast. <laughs> uh, then, yeah, I hope you like me because I'll be here for a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but no, sealed is is so, so much fun, and um, we have to say here that when you're doing the the uh, formal vault or sealed events, then you get three decks to pick from, which adds an element of skill, but it also means that you can pick some cards that you like the look of and play them, um, which is exactly what I did at my first Vault Tour uh, when I was, to be honest, still learning the rules of Keyforge, and I had a great time with it. So I can say quite confidently that Sealed is, is, is relatively accessible or to the extent that the set that it's Sealed for allows. Um, what do we think about Adaptive? Because Adaptive is a really interesting one that really allows you to bring your blue eyes white dragon deck to the table the deck that is uniquely yours that you love but it doesn't have to be a blue eyes white dragon in terms of power level perhaps you love yeah as, as bj you were saying earlier perhaps you love a sea creatures deck which happens to be quite easily lightly toasted by a blue eyes white dragon but you know it's not in the event of adaptive because we have this incredible and quite unique power power level system called chains yeah i uh so one time i i have a bad bad history with playing adaptive <laughs> <laughs> we did a side event oh, that no. was like <laughs> each team it was side event for teams of three uh me dave and rolando then we got three decks each and we had to choose one deck that was going to be uh, our good deck. It would just be the deck that person a, player A played with. Player B had to play with what we thought was um, our worst deck that we wanted the enemy team to play with. Mm, so right. our player B would take a bad deck and then give it to their player B, and their player B would give them another deck. And then the last one was adaptive, and I got stuck in the adaptive. So there was a deck that had it was like one of those i think this was from like age of ascension or maybe worlds collide but uh it was just stacked with mega laka <laughs> and i was like okay like i want that one and the other guy he also wanted that one so we went up to like 11 12 chains uh and i took them i took all 12 chains. Uh, oh no. <laughs> and it came down to the last turn to check and he had a key frog <laughs> and just on his turn done, like forged a key at cost. And I was just like, well, that sucks. And that, that's the last time I ever played adaptive. Oh, Since gosh. then, I was like, I, I can't do it. <laughs> was that that was a uh, that that was a? You said it was a close game, though. Oh yeah, it was dangerously close. Oh well, hey, that's that's better than it being a blowout because the, I mean, the thing about adaptive is, um, well, I love it because it weaponizes your deck knowledge. Uh, the other the other layer there is that you also have to know kind of how to bid and how the chains affect uh, whatever deck they'll end up on. Yeah. Uh, but that's great that it was close. Yeah, um, 
it was just a lot of me just moving Amber around and smashing anything he put on a battle line. <laughs> <laughs> in, in, yeah, that, that's generally a, a decent strategy in, in Keyforge, moving Amber around and smashing things. <laughs> so I guess to that end, it's accessible in terms of you can bring any deck to the table, but uh, as, as, as you said, Zach, there, it weaponizes your deck knowledge. So it is very much more welcoming to players that understand the game at a deeper, a deeper level and maybe yes. slightly less forgiving of new player mistakes than uh, a new player playing a Kota beatdown deck. <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree completely. I think there's a trade-off, right? Because you can become an amazing adaptive player and, you know, regularly day two, if there was like, you know, best of three adaptive vault tour or whatever, if you purchased a single deck and then knew that deck in and out and, you know, selected this deck for adaptive, maybe it's a little more tricky, right? Um, and just played that deck over and over and you knew exactly how chains affect it. You knew how chains affected all manner of different uh, other kinds of decks in the matchups you know what happens when the deck with chains starts to run out of chains and then comes back to its regular power level uh later in the matchup um so that's the trade-off is that you don't you don't need like a strong deck uh it's better if it's a complicated deck or a slightly unclear deck although in uh in regular keyforge adaptive of course a full game your opponent will get to see you play it first um but the the trade-off is that you need to know the deck. You need to know uh, any nuances with rules involved in the deck. And then you also need to know, uh, you need to be good at chain bidding and knowing how the chains will affect will affect either deck. So there's a lot of skill to be had in adaptive um, and a lot of thoughts about what kind of deck to pick for adaptive. Uh, so I think it's a great skill intensive skill focused variant for that purpose. Uh, you just have to be aware of the, the whole chains thing. Uh, it's not just play your deck in Archon and you'll be great at it in Adaptive, which that'll help, but you need to practice your deck in Adaptive to be good at Adaptive. Now, there's another format here that we haven't mentioned, which I want to bring in because I absolutely love it, and that is multiplayer Keyforge, and by that I mean three is better than two. Um, so three-player Keyforge, maybe four-player Keyforge, We'll keep it at three, but this, I think, is a great format for br introducing new players to the game because you do it in a slightly less just-me-against-you kind of environment. There's a bit of a weird dynamic when you're teaching a friend to play a game and playing against them at the same time. And even though you're playing against them in a three-player dynamic, it's, it's less targeted. Three-player means you're constantly looking at who's the biggest threat, and the newer player, by virtue of them being a newer player, you know, it gives them a bit more space to make mistakes there. And the other two players in the game can kind of fight, uh, fight it out and give that new player a bit of space to make those mistakes and actually still have a, have a chance of getting the win at the end of the game when it comes down to it. Because if the other two players have just focused on on each other this uh, the third player the newer player might might have a might have a chance but it, it really does give a bit more space the downside i suppose is that you could be overloaded by new cards and the number of things happening at any one time is is more but 
I think it, it's fair to say there is a reason that Commander, as a format in Magic the Gathering, which is for four players, um, is, uh, is, is, is a successful casual format. And that is because, um, yeah, it is less me versus you and more, more group-orientated. Yeah, I definitely agree. Commander is the only form of magic that I've been interested in lately. <laughs> um, but I think that, yeah, I, I've i only played uh, three-player Keyforge. I haven't played four, but I'm interested. If you have link, <laughs> links to any <laughs> rules or tips, definitely want to know how to do that. Yeah, I, I think you're right, and I think the the way the, the way the mechanics work in the game and how they like the cards interact with each other i think it really it, it does lend itself to being a great like multiplayer or like multi multiplayer uh game definitely definitely yeah and uh, obligatory shout out of course because i've had great success with it to keyforge adventures especially rise of the key raken as a intro point for people. I've played Rise of the Key Raken multiple times with a friend where I just I'm able to hand him a new player a Dark Tidings deck, even though they're a little more thinky, um, because we both can have Dark Tidings decks against the Key Raken, and it's been just such an enjoyable experience um to do that just repeatedly with this new player who can awesome. really get used to Keyforge in it's just us versus the key rake and I can, you know, provide tips as appropriate. I'm also giving my firepower and, you know, it's against this, my giant eight and a half by 11 inch, uh, <laughs> key rake and <laughs> on the other side of the table. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a, a great way to, to, to ease people, to ease people into the game is, is key forge adventures too. I haven't been able to try it yet, but I'm, Oh, it's uh, so fun. It's I so just fun. ordered a print copy of it. So Good, good. Yeah, uh, yeah. I can't. I'll be diving into Abyssal Conspiracy probably sometime next month. Uh, but the Rise of the Key Raken has been getting plenty of play uh, with me, which is it's just been it's been awesome. Awesome, I love it. awesome. I think we'd be remiss here not to mention accessibility in Keyforge Adventures, and you know we talked about the importance of distribution model for accessibility in the competitive version of Keyforge. I think this is also a factor in the cooperative version of Keyforge. And yeah, it's in good hands with FFG because they are the best in the yeah. business at making co cooperative card games of which Keyforge Adventures is a part. But I suppose, you know, the pro of Keyforge Adventures at the moment is that they made it and they got it out there to us as quickly as they could so that we could play Keyforge during the pandemic. But at the same time, a downside to that is... <laughs> For most of us, it's probably harder to go and print off all these cards than it is just to go and buy a pack. And um, we've seen over the past couple of weeks that FFG have been really innovating what they're doing with some of those cooperative living card games. Perhaps we could see something along the same lines at a reasonable price point in Keyforge where a new player can pick up a deck of, of Keyforge cards, can pick up a... Um, a pack of Keyforge Adventure scenarios and really learn that way. And maybe they don't even need to learn with someone else in the room. You know, they, they can learn themselves. Or perhaps even you'd have a, uh, a basic deck of Keyforge cards within that cooperative Keyforge set that is designed for a new, newer player to have a good experience with that scenario or set of scenarios. 
Can you tell Edda really likes the idea of Keyforge Adventures? <laughs> oh, I'm loving it. I I can't wait to play it. I have like uh, so many other like cooperative campaign games, uh, Lord of the Rings, Journeys in Middle Earth, Aeon's End, Legacy, um, so many games. So I can't wait to get uh, onto the cooperative Keyforge. But I think yeah, you, you're you're right, and I hope that. Um, I'll be able to yeah, kind of contribute to getting some copies of it. Um, I think there's so many like talented folks on Reddit who are talking about how they've shared like their dimensions, which is what I use to be able to find out how to do it. And um, somebody had printed them at, I'm trying to figure out where this office max was, but they said it was like $6 at office max to print everything. Um, I don't, I don't believe it, but if you oh, find wow. the office max somewhere, that charges that little to print all of that. Um, And they had front and back to like the cards. Definitely want to find that. But um, yeah, I I think there's definitely ways that, you know, we can make them available at like local game stores and get some copies printed and, you know, kind of just there to leave for folks. So I'm going to try to do that with my local store. Yeah. Yeah. I I guess my hope here is that FFG print these two scenarios with a few more as a first of an ongoing series of Keyforge Adventures scenarios. But yeah, we can see with Marvel Champions, they have scenarios that are loosely connected as a wider story, and that might work well for Keyforge. But it's probably a lower barrier to entry for most particularly newer players if it is printed as a set rather than if we have to go out and and print them ourselves. Um, And uh, yeah, as, as, as you said, BJ, you know, the cheapest is sort of six, six dollars, but you've got to do a lot of graft. You've got to do a lot of grafting to try and find that. Uh, So yeah, most of us are going to be paying a little bit more than that, by which point you kind of shrug your shoulders and go, Oh, could have just bought it. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. So with uh, we've talked about all of these awesome factors about Keyforge, right? There's lots of kind of plans of attack of like, here's how Keyforge is great. Here's what we can use. But like how, so BJ, how how do you see yourself using these factors in Keyforge to grow community, like in ways that other people, uh, like, and how can other people do it too? Like we've talked about all this stuff. What's the next step for somebody who does want to grow their Keyforge community and has just listened to this is all has been refreshing all these great things about Keyforge. What do, what do they do next? How do they use this information to grow a community? Yeah. Uh, I mean, first off is definitely if folks want to try it, um, try the game and get a feel for it. Um, there's so many great creators, um, whether, you know, you're listening to a podcast and hearing about people's perspectives on the games like Zach and Ed's, or if you are watching videos, um, from me or anyone else uh, on YouTube or Instagram. There's ways to like tap into the community and ask people what they like about it. The Keyforge community on Reddit is also super awesome and extremely responsive like Redditors are. <laughs> and then uh, I think it's also just about playing the game and going to your local game shop and uh, asking them if they've got Keyforge, if they don't have it. Um, asking them, you know, if you can play Keyforge with some folks and bring some folks in, bring some extra decks. If you need decks and you want to get in touch with somebody who can provide uh, any decks for donations, reach out to me, uh, Mr. Board Gamer. Um, you can find my info on YouTube. 
And then uh, other than that, like, you know, the Crucible online is free, 100% free. You can load any deck that you find online. Uh, You can load into the Crucible and you can play with it and you can see why certain decks are rated as high as they are or as low as they are if you really want to, you know, improve your knowledge of the game mechanics and strategy and all that. Um, So there's so many great online resources that are free, but also if you want to get your hands on decks, you got to go to your local game store, show them that you want to play Keyforge, see if there's any uh, community events happening around you. There's a great online community that will also keep you in the loop on any public events that are happening. Um, But yeah, I think that's as much as I can say on how to grow Keyforge in our communities right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, that that's that's great. That's great. Um, Because I think that and then really everything we talked about people can, you can really pick and choose or or other things that are important about Keyforge that we didn't touch on, right? You can just grab these things and say, uh, as you're trying to get people into the game, you know, at, at board game nights, people are walking into your game store. You've got all of these, all of these different cool factors that you can touch on, which might different ones might be different to different people, right? Like, um, so like my, my elevate, my go-to elevator pitch, and I love to hear like, if you, if you two have a go-to elevator pitch, my go-to elevator pitch is that, well, you can buy a single deck for 10 bucks. That deck has a unique name. There's no other deck like it in the world. And it is yours and only yours. Like you pick it up, you open it, boom. Like you have a unique experience, unique deck that nobody else has. And like, it's special in that way. Um, and I found that that usually gets some nerdy eyes to to light up and say, oh, it's like it's like my own like like talisman of legend. It's my own Keyforge deck, even if it's, you know, a stinker like it's my stinker. It's great for adaptive <laughs> or reversal. Um, that's uh, yeah, that's my go to. That's my go to. Yeah, I don't know if I have a full elevator pitch, but definitely parts of that. Just the uh these decks are randomly generated and completely unique to you. Um, but also I really like to tell people, um, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, I really like to tell people and people love to hear that there are no instants. Yes. Oh gosh, (laughs) man. We could, we could talk another hour about that game design choice that's really helped accessibility, <laughs> but that that's a great one to bring up. Yeah, that's a great one to bring up. But it also makes just things feel better as well because you can't you can't be uh, lured into a false sense of security for something, and uh, yeah. yeah, it's 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 nice. There's a place for instance, definitely. But yes, uh, I th- I think so. But there's uh, Keyforge's Keyforge's whole vibe. I think. Uh, with the comfort of your turn, knowing that like you have control over it and the other person isn't going to say, Oh, in this timing window, but between when you take the card out of your hand and place it on the table, (laughs) I will cast annihilate your ego. Like, like it's just, it's, it's nice knowing that's not present. Anyone that starts a sentence with this timing window whilst I'm playing a game with them is dead to me. (laughs) (laughs) Or they better be an animated character. Yeah, you right. better be an animated character, or otherwise. In this timing window, I will cast. Uh, Actually, oh my gosh. 
<laughs> well, I'm glad we never played Netrunner Ed because that game is entirely timing windows. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we will play Netrunner, I'm sure, at some point, Zach, and uh, you'll it's be a, dead it's a good to me. one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Well, uh, gentle people, I think the biggest lesson we've learned from this is that uh, there are so many points of approachability in Keyforge that we can't even fit them all into one episode. As uh, you know, BJ even mentioned the uh, no, no, no instance, right? No, no interacting, or not no interacting, but no, uh, no playing cards on your opponent's turn, and the that 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 Keyforge has is another point that we could get into for a long time, but uh, we're going to wrap it up there. So uh, BJ known on YouTube as Mr. Board Gamer. Thank you so much for coming out with us today. We're excited to have you back to talk about uh, your worlds collide deck uh, that we're going to be talking about you next week. We're really looking forward to it. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, the invite and it was good talking to you guys. Um, I look forward to playing with you guys. Yeah, that's fantastic. And uh, are you uh, elsewhere on the internet besides YouTube as Mr. Board Gamer that people should uh, come find you? I'm also on Instagram at Mr. Board Gamer, but YouTube is uh, where you will find all of my work. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, make sure to get over there and subscribe. Uh, you will get some quality content uh, every every other week, every other week from Mr. Board Gamer there. And listener, thank you so much for tuning in to Call of Discovery and for joining us on this journey to talk about just how is Keyforge approachable and how can we use that to build our communities. Uh, if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on your podcast app of choice. And if you're new to Keyforge, and this was your first episode, which would be just lovely, uh, make sure to visit the new player guide on Archon Arcana, the Keyforge wiki. That is linked below where you can get started on your own unique journey into this wonderful game. And also on the topic of our game today, uh, community organizers, people getting people into Keyforge, use that new player guide, send that to people. It's a great resource for anybody who wants to start to take a deep dive in. If you're looking to support us monetarily, please visit our Patreon linked below where you can sign up to support us monthly and enjoy rewards like being a part of our exclusive discords where we got topics and questions for the show, which we got several of today, where we talked about how is the Archon variant the Archon format accessible, which was a suggestion from Disciple, and then Duke, uh, the mighty submitter of topics, as always. And the other topic we got, of course, was uh, elevator pitches from Sporgory. So uh, if you want to support us, jump in there and and get talking with Ed and I and our wonderful little community who who uh, gets to see all the guests coming in uh, before, before they're announced. Let us know what you'd like to see more or less of in future shows by interacting with us across all social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or send us an email at podcast at callofdiscovery.com. You can also find all sorts of little information about Call of Discovery on our baby website at www.callofdiscovery.com. But most importantly, dear listener, if you think a friend would enjoy this podcast, please help them to discover it. Have you answered the Call of Discovery? <laughs>